You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month, where you'll get access to our special bonus features, like our Pet Peeves segment, where we ask our guests about their pets and their peas within the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3-9 through 9 in the Christian Standard Bible read, For since there is envy and strife among you, you are not worldly and behaving like mere humans. For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. St. Paul here describes this competitive spirit in the church as immature and worldly. He then states that it is a mere human behavior. Uh, Reverend Coleman, do you think this spirit of competitiveness is still in the church, and does it take something greater than human to get past it and achieve real Christian unity? Yes, I think this spirit of competitiveness is in human nature. So it's in the church because it's in human nature, and, and I think this is part of what Paul is trying to uh, to get at. Um, the translation you read from says uh, mere human um common English Bible talks about um, human standards. And so uh, I'd say, yes, we need to be guided by some standard other than human standard, the standard of competition that we all uh, lean toward and be uh, guided by God's standard on this. Welcome, whole church listeners, to another round table discussion. We are here with some of our trusted knights of the table, the the great, brilliant guest we have. Um, of course, the only reason that they come to the table is because we also have the world's greatest, most renowned, most phenomenal, most mystical co-host of all time, the wonderful Wizard of Oz, TJ Tiberius One Blackwell. How's it going? It's good, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, I'm I'm upset they left the part out of the movie where they reveal the true Wizard of Oz was actually just you. Yeah. Well, yeah. they invited me back for the Wiz. So. Oh, okay. I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> and today we are joined by by some great guests, some of my favorite people we've spoken to throughout the years. You know them. You love them. Part of the original roundtable, Sir Knight Joe Day. Uh, also co-host of Systematic Ecology, also the host of Buddy Walk with Jesus, Kingdom on the Road, probably a million other projects that I just can't even fathom. He's constantly working on broadcasting and podcasting. We have the great Reverend Justin Coleman of, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the church. I know it is United Methodist Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina on the UNC Chapel Hill campus. What's the name of the church again, Reverend Justin? University United Methodist Church. Uh, okay. Well, forgive me, Sir Knight Justin. And we have Sir Lancelot, uh, Nathan Gilmore, <laughs> host of the Christian Humanist Podcast, uh, professor somewhere. I'm bad at these things. 
but I am glad to be speaking to people who are better at these things. It's Emmanuel College and you're doing great. (laughs) Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, Would you like to say hello? Anybody? Howdy. Hey. (laughs) Hey. All right. And uh, yeah, these are our guests today. We will be continuing a discussion from last time. We brought up some of our buildings. And one of the things that got brought up is how some churches share a building. And we kind of touched on what about when churches share communities or online space. And we're going to go a little bit deeper into that today with today's guest. Really excited for that. So tune in. And if you're a fan of the show, uh, go ahead and pick up one of our fundraiser shirts to help with our new website and the convention we're going to have next year. If you don't like the fundraiser shirt, there are other options in the store. You can find the link to both in the show notes. Uh, There are two separate links. One is for the store and one is for the fundraiser. You know, click at your own discretion. I think the shirts are fine. Pick one up, support us, strut your stuff and our stuff. Uh, Check out our patron for 10% off everything in the whole church store. Four free giveaways a year, eight to 10 bonus content segments a month and access to our exclusive Q&A channel on Discord where you can ask us anything and we will either answer or get a previous guest to answer. There is also a free Discord for the non-Q&A stuff if you just want to be able to talk to us. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, it's recording, time of recording. The Discord doesn't exist yet, but it will by the time I post this. Yeah, so it's it's fine. Also, uh, on, on the store, one of the shirts was inspired from our last episode with Reverend Justin. Uh <laughs> When uh, we were talking about how glad we are, there isn't a theology test to get into heaven. So we have a shirt that has a test on the front. It's like, uh, I didn't know there was going to be a test in the back. Says, aren't you glad there's no test? To... Yeah. So I like that shirt. I think it's funny. Speaking of funny and silly things, my favorite form of Christian unity does not get skipped, even for the round table when it takes a little bit longer. And I love this one. It's simple. It's goofy. It's going to be a great, silly question today. If you were a lizard, what kind of lizard would you be? TJ, would you would you answer first for us all? Uh, sure. Uh, my favorite lizard is the basilisk lizard, uh, Basilicus basiliscus, uh, sure. also known as the Jesus lizard, uh, because they can run on water. Mm. Nice. That's the, yeah, that's so cool. Nice. If, uh, for people to be able to run on water, we'd have to be able to run like 85 miles an hour. Hmm. Which Interesting. Is, fun fact. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think. There's, there are too many lizards for this to be a good question. I, I can tell you, I would definitely not be a gecko. I don't blend in anywhere. I, I I'm an introvert who always draws attention to himself. It's awful. Um, what TJ? What's the lizard with the big throat? The ones that are like usually in Florida that I see them. Just one. Yeah. Uh, you could be an anole. Like what's yeah? Is that the one that we saw when we were in Orlando last time? I don't remember. I remember. A I'm going to say lizards. yeah. Yeah, I'm going with a Nole then. <laughs> it has the word Nole in it. That works. Uh, ooh, just uh, TJ, you want to you want to pick victims? Sure. Uh, Justin Coleman. All right. Thank you uh, for that. Um, I you know I don't know a lot of lizards is the the problem. I was going to go with <laughs> bearded dragon or something like that. I was like somebody else is likely to say that. So I'm going to say the Mwanza Agama which is this, I believe it's an East African lizard that is uh, colloquially known as the Spider-Man lizard because half of it is like red, uh, like Spider-Man red, half of it's like Spider-Man blue. So yes, go uh, look it up, the Spider-Man lizard. Yeah, yeah, they're cool. It's just the males that are red and blue. That's right. Peacocks. Yeah. 
But uh, Nathan Gilmore, if you had to be a lizard. Uh, I'm going to go with the five line skink. Uh, this is a species that is uh, native <laughs> to North Georgia. And I only discovered it when I moved here. And uh, the first time I saw it, I thought, well, I mean, you know, what what was the process of uh, natural and sexual selection that got a lizard with these fluorescent orange and pink stripes on a black body that cannot blend in with anything? But they're very cool to look at. And, uh, you know, they uh, they they inhabit the uh, spaces under the front porch in front of my house. So I enjoy them a great deal. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. Love a good regional lizard. Uh, what about you, Joe? <laughs> So I'm going to go an entirely different route with this and say Godzilla, because he is in fact <laughs> king of the lizards. Absolutely. I, you know, I Fair almost enough. said Jim Morrison, so I'm, I'm, I, I totally respect <laughs> that. Phenomenal. That's a uh, man. Uh, who, who was the the uh, the secret agent lizard in the old PlayStation games? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You mean Gex? Yes, Gex the Gecko. That's definitely not me though, because again, I am not sneaky. I wanted to say I, the one I was trying to look up earlier. Uh, and I decided can't say it for a very important reason. The Gila monster, or Gila monster, Gila, Gila, Gila. Yeah, Gila. I uh, I wanted to say that because it is the slowest lizard, and I just happened to kind of vaguely remember that there's the slowest lizard is in like southwestern America, but it's venomous and it looks too cool. And um, I'm not very deadly or cool, so that'll be my second thing. It's just yeah. not me. Sure. Yeah. All right. I could talk about lizards all day, but we have an actual show to do. <laughs> So, uh, we have a friend who describes a road in Raleigh near where he lives as Saints Road because it has so many churches clustered together. Uh, it looks a lot like when McDonald's, Wendy's, and Burger King are all next to each other. Uh, other than proximity like this, Joe, what are some other things you've seen that churches do that may come off as them competing with one another to the non-churchgoers? Um, so, so, coming from the marketing world... There is pretty exactly one reason why you would have a big old billboard and all of that. Um, that's part of it. I Around here, it's a very similar feel where there's the buffet style where like you can't go very far without finding a different, a different church. And I mean, they really mm. swing wildly in denomination and size and so on and so forth. Um, a lot of them have those like old style like restaurant signs that you would see in like old diners would have a sign out out front that you could put the little plastic <laughs> letters into and all of that. Um, and they all try to be quippy or they try to, so, some of them don't even try at all. And it's just like, come here or burn in hell. Um, seriously, I saw that one. Oh. So like oh. those kinds of like large scale public displays where it's very clear, like, Hey, don't go to those other places. Come here. Mm -hmm. All right. What uh, what what about you, Nathan, Doctor Gilmore? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that uh, you know, strikes me about this is that uh, the same interstate highway system and the same sort of post-war American culture that made these things possible, right? Uh, you know, why would churches want to move onto? the same strip of road? Well, the answer is, I mean, accessibility, right? Uh, cheap parking, all those sorts of things. And the same cultural forces that made that kind of thing possible within, you know, maybe years, maybe decades, uh, has made those uh, denominational distinctives less and less important as, as years have passed on. So uh, what's interesting is, I mean, you know, I, I did some research once, and I promise I'm getting to a point here, about uh, when people started writing stories about uh, Christmas getting commercialized. Uh, and the answer is that uh, 
among the very first printed Christmas stories. We're talking like years <laughs> after uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Uh, you had American authors writing stories about Christmas getting too commercialized. And I, and I have the sense that, uh, you know, the, uh, the observation that we probably don't need this many churches along that same strip of highway uh, probably came along not long after it became possible to have churches along that same strip of highway. Yeah. Uh, on our other podcast, Systematic Geekology, Joe and I did a one of our drive-in movies that we did was uh, Miracle on 34th Street. And we were talking about how even in the 1940s, they were complaining about Christmas being too commercialized. Yeah, it goes all the way back to the 1850s. That's crazy. (laughs) Uh, Incidentally, shopping malls were invented within years of the 1850s. Oh, yep. Checks out. Right. So on our last roundtable, Brandon Knight mentioned an interview he had with a church where it seemed like their chief concern was competing with the church across the street. Uh, Josh, could you mind everyone what that story was about since Brandon could not make it here today? Yeah, and I'm going to share another anecdote as well. But um, what Brandon was talking about is he was doing an interview to be a youth pastor. And they kept asking him questions that he thought was kind of weird. Like they're asking, what kind of program would you do here? How would you do vacation Bible? And it was like really specific stuff that he was talking about. And it's like, I wonder why they're asking this. And then he saw a sign outside the door or outside the window from the church next door talking about all the things that they're going to have at their vacation Bible school. And he realized they were interviewing him to see if he could outdo them, basically. And he's like, yeah, that's not my game. <laughs> and what's funny about that is when we're talking about this competitive mindset, also uh, one of our earlier episodes, actually, um, Pastor Ryan Green was on here. And it was when we first started doing the question where we were asking people of um, what's something practical we could do to engender unity. And what was interesting was his answer was do something in the community together without wearing your church's shirt. And I I thought that was really impactful because yeah, so too many times we'll do community service, but only if everyone wears your church's shirt so they know who you're representing. Basically that's kind of the language that's used. And Ironically, that's even influenced our decisions in the whole church store where about half of our shirts, we don't put our podcast name on. We just have hashtag one church because we're like, hey, that's not what we're doing here. We're not out marketing somebody. Yeah. But if you are introverted and you don't want people to ask you about your shirt, maybe get one of the ones that says the podcast name on it. Yeah, that's true, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So some of us mentioned last time and by some of us, I mean, Brandon and TJ, actually, uh, being part of churches that share their building with another congregation. Would anyone like to discuss a time they've seen something sort of like that, or maybe a little bit different done really well? Uh, Nathan. Yeah. Uh, there's a church I attended and actually I preached at for a while and uh, they did eventually fire me. So there's, there's some co- uh, complexity there, but uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I will say to their praise that uh, you know, it was a church that had a, a fellowship hall, in a lower floor and then the, the main uh, sanctuary in the upper floor. And one of the things that we did um, while I was preacher there uh, is that there was a, a, a Spanish language church that was looking to plant. And, uh, you know, they're looking for a place, you know, cheap to rent so they could do so. And, you know, one of the things that, that we did is uh, we invited them to, you know, use that fellowship hall space while we use the sanctuary upstairs, you know, at that same 11 o'clock hour on Sundays. Um, and, you know, for their first uh, few years there as a church plant, you know, I mean, they're using that space. 
Um, eventually that got big enough that they wanted to find a space of their own, but, uh, they were good years because, uh, you know, the folks upstairs, so to speak, uh, you know, were able to have conversations with folks and, you know, get into, uh, encounters with folks that, uh, they maybe would not have, uh, if we didn't have another church there in our space. Now, you know, in, in that case, you know, we were able to do the two services simultaneously, uh, I imagine that, you know, similar kinds of things could happen in uh, church spaces uh, where you didn't do them simultaneously. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, when I was in Wilmington, the church we had had an English and a Spanish congregation meeting there, and they both ended up hi- hiring me as their children's pastor. So, <laughs> but I had to have an interpreter in the Spanish yeah. one. And uh, it, it was an interesting experience because sometimes I would say something that just wasn't funny and all the kids would laugh. Yeah. Who knows what was said, <laughs> uh, Reverend uh, Reverend Justin. Yeah, just a couple of comments here, you know, uh, around what um, Nathan just said. So one of the things to note here around competition is I take it that one of the things that diminished competition, even meeting concurrently, was the language gap. And so uh, where I've seen this done well, churches have mitigated consciously or unconsciously competition by either language, because I've done it before, and you know, multiple language services, um, uh, um, Spanish speaking, uh, you know, Vietnamese, you know, different kinds of things uh, in that in that way. Or you schedule it at a different time so that there's no overlap whatsoever. And so where I've seen this done well, there have always been either timing or language differences that mitigate this sense of competition. Um, what I haven't seen is overlapping uh, bodies that could actually more easily integrate with one another, uh, meeting concurrently uh, or working you know, concurrently in the same space. That I haven't quite seen yet. Uh, Joe? So um, the last church that I attended before jumping ship over to um, the house church scene, uh, it's, it's it's a very sordid story as far as how it landed there, but it met in the like the youth room of a different church and our the services were going on at the exact same time. And so there there was it clear overlap between between the two and there was a guy i don't we don't know whether or not he was like sent by the church or if he came by his own like free will but uh once a month he would come down to our service and sit in and engage and so on and so forth um mm-hmm. it was interesting because logistically it worked fine. Like there weren't, there weren't any major issues. Um, it was the, it was the congregation that, that felt like, uh, like, because we didn't have a space that was technically our own, we weren't a real church. Hmm. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of the time and my perspective has shifted as I've, as I've gone down the ordination path, and I'm I'm doing all of that. My my, it's it's e- it's easy for the guy in the front of the room to catch the bad rap. Just I'm just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the time, I think 
the, in in a mindset sort of way, it comes down to oh, if it's if this thing is going to fall apart, it's going to fall apart because of leadership. And and I am absolutely certain that there are more than plenty of examples of exactly that happening. I am sure. But it was just a di- an interesting chance to be able to see people reject something that we didn't have to pay for it. We didn't have, and and we're talking about like the next cheapest spot. They wanted like multiple thousands of dollars to to rent out that space. Like the fact that we were getting free free lodging, quote unquote, it was <laughs> out of bounds for this for this area, and so. It just it's it's almost like you know that old adage you don't look a good uh, gift a gift horse in the mouth you know what I mean like it, that's it, it, it just yeah. it felt it felt weird because especially for me I don't so one thing um, I I say on my show every show everybody uh, every show is somebody's first show so somebody listening to this likely has never heard from me before I don't have a lot of the same baggage that a lot of lifers have with the church because I grew up most of my life, not in the church adjacent to the church. It's a whole thing, but not like in, in the church. So, so the denominational portion of it for me, I don't, you know what I mean? So for me, I'm more looking at this on a, on a human level rather than like, this is what this is. This has something to do with church. This felt more like this had something to do with humanity, not something to do specifically with like church. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the issues when it comes to sharing space is pride. Very human. Pride is the devil. Uh, Comparison is the thief of joy. If we could just get past that, then I think we could share spaces a lot more effectively. But uh, should more churches save money on a building and share buildings like that? Joe. Okay, so now now here's where I get to get, get to chime in as more of the nomadic voice because being a part of the uh, of the house church network, you don't have a building. And to be perfectly honest with you guys, I think a lot of churches needlessly throw money away on a building. There's benefits to a building. I'm not I'm not going to be the guy that's like no church should ever have a building or anything like that. But if your church is small, and your operating budget is solely tied to how many people are walking through the door, maybe don't have the overhead of a building. Maybe reach like like let's let's figure out how we can either you utilize a different space or be able to, you know, do you know, meet in somebody's house if you're the if you're that kind of size and all of that kind of stuff. Um and, and I, I think TJ, you hit the nail on the head. I think for for a long time it kind of goes hand in hand in America with selling people on the American dream of go buy a house, go have 2.5 acres and 2.5 children and the white picket fence and the whole nine yards. Same deal with the church, right? You got to you have to go through the paces of a very specific process when you're planting a church. As somebody who has been planting churches, I promise you it looks very, very unique to every single church. Yeah, I I thought it was really interesting recently. And this is funny because these guys met through the roundtable discussions. Um, Christian Ashley has been on here before, is home from college vacation, wasn't able to make it today, but he wanted to go to Father Jonathan's church. 
Greek Orthodox Church here in Charlotte, who has also been part of the roundtable before. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to pass up an opportunity to hang out with Father Jonathan. So I went (laughs) and it was a really interesting experience. But what what I thought was really cool is at the end, they were talking about all the different programs and things they were doing at the building. And they're actually making it a useful space. They're teaching English, they're teaching Spanish, they're teaching Greek, they have a bookstore, like they're actively using the space for things that are useful and not just church programs to make people want to come. And it's more like, hey, this is actually helpful things for people. I could just go learn Greek if I wanted to. Uh, Reverend Justin. Yeah. So I, uh, I've i got a friend who says uh, churches should be missional base stations, missional base stations. And so no matter how long your church is around or has been around or is in a location, You've got to think of it as a missional base station and hold on to it loosely in that way. So right now, as y'all listen to me, I am sitting in a church that is almost 180 years old as a congregation, and my office is almost 100 years old. I got a fireplace. There's a you know living room section. I mean, it's just kind of old church. <laughs> That's kind of how we, how we did this thing. And... It has made sense for this congregation to be a missional base station related to the UNC campus for these years. Hey, that makes sense. But I think we've got always got to be open to this idea that uh, at a certain point, God may shift that mission. And every congregation, whether it's been around for five years or 105 years, has to be thinking in that way. Because, you know, per what Joe was talking about earlier, the challenge becomes the sense that we want to settle down and we want to make, you know, put our stake in the ground and say, this place is mine. I own it. This is my church, which is less about the gathered people of God, gathered and called out people of God, and more, hey, we helped to build this thing and we love it. Have you ever, you know, I mean, for anybody who's ever built their own home, they love it. They love every inch of that place because they help to design it. That's what happens in congregational life. But we also serve this God who uh, said to us when we were hunkered down uh, near Jerusalem, uh, you're going to be my witnesses in all Jew- uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you got to be willing to move. And if a congregation can keep that as a part of their core identity, no matter how old they are as a congregation, then yes, you're going to be able to move, move fluidly with the spirit. If you are not able to do that, you're going to have tremendous trouble living into the reality uh, that Joe was talking to us about a moment ago. I loved that language that you used. We called them um, kingdom outposts, you know, same basic idea that, that as you know, and I'll I'll spare everybody. What is my most common sermon is (laughs) when, when we, we are all part of the larger C corporate kingdom, right? Corporate church. But but the but the, there's there is present language to the kingdom where the kingdom is where God's authority is the highest authority. It's it's part of the duality of of what's written in Matthew and all of those kinds of things. And you know there's it's not as when when you look at these at, at these topics right. There's a lot of topics that fall into this generalized category and subsect of issues when it comes to 
navigating church life and all of that kind of stuff. It, it's not like some kind of weird sin to have a building or anything like that, or to have a <laughs> fireplace in your office or whatever. Uh, but, but you, you said, you said the words, hold on to it loosely, right? Mm-hmm. If, if tomorrow happens and a series of events take place and you no longer have your building, are you still a church? Mm-hmm. You know, yes, I understand for some, there's a lot of logistics that go into that, the larger the church is, and I'm not even going to touch on that one, but <laughs> it's it's part of a heart posture and a mentality that that puts kingdom first and stance, opinion, uh, all, all of the stuff second. Yeah. Like there's, there's no, yeah, buts there. There's no like, yeah, but, but what about how that person votes or how that person practices? Like heresy is heresy, but if we're going to call out heresy, let's let words mean things. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like that's that, that let's, let's be honest about what, what it is <laughs> that we're saying. So when it comes to something like a shared space, you know, this is a, this is a tale of two conversations because you have the, the ones that are nomadic in nature. You've got the, you've got the networks that can move around and do different things. And at this point, guys, I, I don't, I, I mean, God can do a great many things, but I'm not sure I would ever want to go and, and plant my feet in a building and all of that kind of stuff, because I'm, I'm a nimble. I can move around. <laughs> I can do different things, all of that kind of stuff. But for anybody who has that building, what would it look like if you opened up your door and allowed somebody else to meet in your space or to use your space for something else or whatever? You know what I mean? Maybe you let Mm -hmm. youths use it for something or you maybe outside of just your youth group. I'm saying tap into your community, find out what the legitimate needs of your community are and open up your doors. What would it look like? Yeah. And we discussed some of that in the last roundtable, but it's always an important part of this discussion. Um, I, I would like to, as always, suggest people to check out all the roundtable episodes. But uh, yeah, just this idea of some churches, like, like Pastor Will, they have shower at the church for people who might need a shower, you know, different things like that. Um, you know, I was talking about Father Jonathan's church having classes to teach Greek to people. If your church is being used for things, then by all means, help your community but if it's only open Sundays or maybe Wednesdays for someone to give a speech, uh, I don't know if it's worth the space, if it's worth the money. But no. that is that's a different conversation. Um, check that one out. Other than the building, if we're to, to look at this a little bit bigger, you were talking about opening up to other congregations. You know, again, that's more than Sundays and Wednesdays. You also have another church meeting there on Sunday. You have, you know, maybe you have someone meeting there on Fridays or you allow your uh, Messianic Jewish brothers to meet on Saturdays at your church. Who knows? Outside of the building, what are some different ministries that can focus on shared spaces? You know, when we're talking about sharing our community, how do we work with other churches within our community? Um, even online space, you know, a lot of times it's competitive. How do I get our podcast noticed as opposed to this other podcast? It's a practice I do is to share. I try to share every Monday someone else's podcast on our Facebook group because how do we share our online space is also important. Nathan has something to say. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, uh, especially, uh, during COVID really kind of started occurring to me is that, uh, we have a lot of talented teachers, uh, working in our churches. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, I enjoy, uh, at, at the church I currently attend where I'm an elder, uh, is that every Holy week, uh, we kind of split 
three services among three churches. So one of our uh, in town here, you know, there's a Baptist church, a United Methodist church and a Disciples of Christ church uh, that do Holy Week together. And one of the three churches will do Maundy Thursday. One of the three will do Good Friday. One of the three will do the sunrise service on Sunday. And uh, what's been occurring to me is, I mean, you know, what kinds of things might we be able to do uh, if we said, all right, you know, uh, we're not all going to do our educational hour, uh, you know, at 10 o'clock on Sunday. But, you know, uh, we said, all right, you know, in a given week, uh, you know, this church will offer these two classes. One of them will occur Sunday morning, one of them on an evening, uh, one of them will happen online, so on and so forth. I mean, you know, even even maintaining local ties, which is something I'm big on. I, uh, I've been podcasting for about 13 years, but I still think that uh, the faithful gathering in a place is very important. Uh, but even within those parameters, uh, I think that we could do some really cool things uh, if we coordinated as congregations and said, all right, you know, uh, let's avail each other of our most talented teachers. And, you know, kind of like what I said, you know, when I was on Whole Church talking about Erasmus, you know, talk less about those books that are primarily sectarian and polemical in character and more about those books upon which we can build a foundation for intercongregational unity. Mm -hmm. All right. It's crazy having a professor talk. Uh, Reverend Coleman, uh, Sharing Communities. Yes. Um, So kinship is important to me. Uh, If y'all have read Father Gregory Boyle, uh, he talks lots about um, uh, kinship. And so developing a sense of kinship, a sense of family in between congregations is is I think crucial. Um, people used to talk about, may still talk about common cause communities, right? So I think this is a way that we can think about coming together as churches around a cause. You gather a community of people from different congregations, uh, different uh, faith communities around a cause that they really care about in the community. And let them work together. Let them work shoulder to shoulder and develop a uh, a new sense of community that uh, goes beyond uh, any of the other communities alone. I mean, you create a, a, another space. And I also don't think we can do enough of that uh, in our, our church communities. I mean, the the hope, my hope would be that we create enough of those common cause uh, spaces that those spaces begin to critique all of our other communities as separate communities. Like, does it make sense at a certain point when (laughs) we spend so much time uh, together in uh, out in the community? Uh, Maybe it means we should spend more time uh, together um, on Sunday mornings or in uh, buildings together, not just meeting in separate um, spaces, uh, but maybe we need to, uh, you know, totally do away with our separateness of space. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I've, uh, I've always thought one of the best ideas for sharing a community uh, would be for a couple of churches, a few churches, several even, uh, to split the price of a community center, like a recreation center. And then every church has a recreation center. Everybody can use it. And it's a shared space. Mm. I like that. I, like I think that. that's a good idea personally. And it's a little expensive, but that's why you get like six churches to go in and buy one community center that everybody can use. Yeah, I like that 
I want to expand this also to, I know the other part of my question, looking at the online spaces, um, I was thinking Joe might be particularly well fit to answer that part of the question. Uh, Being a broadcaster, entrepreneur, podcaster, do you have any ideas as far as like, what are better ways we can use our online space to promote one another as opposed to compete with? So the business word for it is a network. Um, but when it's, there's not a lot different other than the vehicle for transmitting the information between everything that we've said about shared community spaces and what we're saying about like online space, you know, Josh, you've been on kingdom on the road, right? Kingdom on the road Mm -hmm. is a weekly talk show that the door, the door is wide open. Anybody and everybody come along. Like seriously, it's not, and and it's designed to stimulate authentic conversation. I commonly say I am not the most eloquent speaker in the world. I'm over here speaking the queen's English, but trust me when I tell you, you get in front of a microphone with me and I'm going to force you to be real. I'm going to force you to be authentic. It's going to get real. And that, that to me, fostering an environment where you can have that level of authenticity, but then also open the door to anybody to walk through that door. You know, yeah, there's, there's a base level, you know, what are the, what are, 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 are we all majoring in the majors? Cool. Awesome. Once you've squared that circle, which takes about 2.5 seconds, then <laughs> the rest is gravy. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't agree with everything that some, that everybody come, says that comes through the door, but it's all good conversation. And as we do things like promote each other's shows or create a platform where it can be a rotating door of voices, of people, mm-hmm. where it's very open, like, hey, such and such a person is from such and such a show or from such and such a, t- uh, a platform or what have you, where it's not this weird, awkward, you know, you're only allowed to plug your stuff at the beginning and at the end, <laughs> like, no. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I can't, as as a shepherd, there's only so much that I can do. As somebody who leads the uh, who, who leads the flock, there's only there's only certain things that resi- that that I'm gonna bring to the table. Somebody else may have something that total that that is 100 beneficial for the people that have gathered together. And, and so, so why not open? That's for the benefit of your people. And isn't mm-hmm. that, isn't that, as the people in front for any of us that are the person at the front, isn't that the gig? Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to to add a a something. Can't think of the right word. There, it is also important what your heart posture is. So something Joe kind of got at is you know not just plug in the beginning and the end. You know, however you want to. Do. It's because. Are you having someone on your podcast, on your Facebook group or whatever, because you think that having them will have more of their followers give you attention? Or are you having them on because you genuinely want to elevate their voice? And that's two different things. And hey, yeah, it might accomplish the same amount of shared space. But when we're talking about things of God, things of the spirit, your heart posture matters. And the same thing when we're talking about community stuff, if we're all going to go in together and buy a community center, are we doing it because this will make more people come to my church? Or are we doing it because we think this will this will help the other churches and the people in our community? Mm-hmm. 
So with all of these things we've been discussing in mind, uh, Dr. Gilmore, what would your ideal shared outreach be if you were to team up with other ministries in your area? What would you most like to see done together and what would it look like? Yeah, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction because, I mean, the inclination has been to say, you know, uh, uh, let's create these, you know, parallel communities. Um, I think because of my own attempts at ecumenical conversation, you know, one of the things that I would most like to see uh, is some kind of, and again, I'm a professor, so I'm going to lean towards the educational, right? Uh, but I mean, you know, some kind of uh, non-Sunday morning uh, opportunity for local congregations to talk about their historical particularities. And here's why I think that's important, because there are, to be sure, uh, you know, those those sort of outlier stories that people always like to talk about when they talk about how silly church people are, where you've got First Presbyterian and Second Presbyterian, and it's because in 1878 there's a dispute over the carpet color or whatever else, right? There are also real historical differences in how we teach the faith that is handed down from generation to generation. And that doesn't have to be the start of a separation. It can be the start of a new kind of understanding, a new kind of unity, a new opportunity for people to worship as part of a historically particular community, or for that matter, and you know, this is our moment, um, to realize that they have been part of a community with historical particularity, because a lot of folks aren't aware of that right now. Uh, and then <laughs> yeah. also to, you know, step in there so that, you know, someone from a Disciples of Christ church like mine uh, can have a conversation with a person from a Baptist church about why is it that you take Eucharist, you know, every so often, we take it every first day of the week. And, you know, as we go forward, as we worship together, as we serve together, as we do these sorts of things together, um, how can we do things in a way that doesn't require the Baptists to become Campbellites or require the Campbellites to become Baptist, uh, but to serve in ways that, uh, you know, that could go either of those directions or could go the direction of let's say who we are or could go the direction of is it time to reimagine something that is neither Baptist nor Campbellite or is it time for something else, right? I, I think that one of my concerns, uh, you know, when we talk about church unity is I don't want it necessarily to be lowest common denominator unity. Uh, let's strip away all of the particulars and whatever's left, that's what we'll start with. I'd, I'd rather say, I mean, let us go into the room with our particulars and only after we have really taken them seriously, do we even start to have the conversation about, you know, how they exist alongside of or give way to other particularities. Mm. That's a great idea. Uh, Reverend? Yeah. Uh, I really appreciated what uh, the good Dr. Gilmore uh, said there about uh, particularities um, as I said, the last time I was on uh, the podcast, uh, Methodists tend to be kind of conjunctive. Another way of thinking about that is we view Christendom as a, a big buffet and we walk around going, hey, I don't like that. I'll put that on my plate. Ah, that over there. I'm going to take that and put it. I mean, that's been a part of our tradition. But in order to do that, you really have to appreciate and value uh, what uh, other traditions uh, have to say. Um, so really appreciate that. When I think about um, – what it means to develop some kind of shared um, outreach. Uh, I, I like Dr. Gilmore's focus on history early on in the pandemic. One of the ecumenical activities uh, here in 
our corner was to talk about uh, the shared history of race in our town, uh, going mm-hmm. uh, so far back as to say, all right, so let's talk about uh, um, who was here before any of us, uh, what Native Americans uh, were were here before any of us. Let's really understand the uh, the history of this uh, soil uh, and and let's talk about the history of of race together and then how our communities were a part of it. That was a, a great shared journey uh, in in our community. So you know that understanding of history and, and shared history uh, can be uh, really important. Important. I also think that you know all of this really is contextual. So when you say what would what would any of us start, uh, it's very contextual. Um, <laughs> you know, here um, it was locally discerned by listening to the community and listening to the spirit that some work around uh, education and achievement gap, achievement and opportunity gaps in our school system were made sense for some of our churches to work together on because. You know, we've got the second largest achievement and opportunity gap between black and white students in the entire country, right? So again, it's contextual, it's locally discerned, listening to people, listening to the spirit. And I think that's what it's got to be uh, in every uh, location. Yeah. yeah, if only there yeah. were one right answer. Right. right. Nah. <laughs> it's boring. Uh, Joe? Yeah, uh, just to to echo everything that these two gentlemen have said, you know, the old saying goes that it's unity, not uniformity. I think sometimes we're so focused on making everything look at least similar to one another in order for us to come together and have all of the things that we're talking about having. No, no, there are different things that bring different groups to the table and Honestly, if in your everyday life you are worshiping the king, you are doing the th- you are living in the holy and set apart way, but that person gets there by a different route than I get there, then that that should stimulate conversation, not create opposition with one another. You know what I mean? And and I've never I've not I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend like I've always been great at that. You know, most of my tenure as a Christian has been in a post 2020 world. And Mm -hmm. so I have had a lot of opinions (laughs) about how things were handled and what things looked like and all of that. But through the grace of God, I've gotten to this point of understanding that, oh, our theology has to be every single day. If it's not, if if our theology only fits Sunday, there's a very big problem. And part of that, and, and, I believe it was the Reverend that said uh, that said this. You, it, it requires if you're really gonna gonna interact and engage and immerse yourself in the kingdom with kingdom citizens, then you have to have some level of. I think you use the word appreciation. Like there has to be an a a camaraderie there that says, okay, we might not do it the same, but that's okay, and you don't have to stop being you just to come to the table, you know, whether that's historical or if that's uh, sociological or whatever the case may be, those aren't things that need to be stripped away in order to get to the cross. Much the opposite. Mm, 
for those wondering, we did just decide our next roundtable's topic, um, particularities, as uh, Dr. Gilmore would call it. <laughs> yes. Sounds like a good one. <laughs> um, so that being said, one thing we like to do before we get into our wrap-up or anything else, we like to ask everybody for a practical solution. I don't know. Uh, we like to ask everybody for a tangible action that people can take that would help better maintain unity in the church. We ask at the end of every episode. All of you are aware of this. This time, I want to ask a little bit more specifically, how can your average church attender, just someone who just attends church, isn't necessarily part of the laity or anything like that, how can they make an impact in their church concerning how it's sharing its space and community? Uh, Reverend Justin, would you like to ask answer this uh, specific practical question this time? Yeah, I'd be glad to. So one of the ways I'd be thinking about it is um, how can we think about our churches as uh, co-working centers? I mean, I mean, if you have a church and if it's got some space and if you have space available, what if it was a common cause co-working community where you gather a group of nonprofits or whoever and say, hey, um, our work is synergistic. So let's leverage the connections and the relationships that we have in our congregations and say, you know, people need space. People need affordable space so that they can uh, lower the cost of their overhead, maximize what they're doing <laughs> to serve the populations that they're trying to serve. Let's allow our church spaces to be that. And then let's say, hey, let's 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 develop a vision together so we feel like we're actually making an impact in this community together. doesn't mean we're doing the same work, uh, but we share enough of vision and concern for our town, for our city, for our neighborhood, uh, that we can feel like, hey, we're a part of a team that is trying to make uh, uh, an impact, that's trying to make a dent in the universe right here. Yeah, so everybody can just start spreading that thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dr. Gilmore, do you have any any thoughts, any other ideas of how we can, you know, just regular churchgoer, how can they better encourage their church to share space better or share their community better? Yeah, for the people in the pews, I mean, one of the things that immediately comes to my mind is when we start into these initiatives, uh, the folks who have sort of the accountants minds and the engineers minds and those uh, good left brain people of the world <laughs> Um, build into those early plans contingencies for the real physical material needs of whatever you're doing. So when people share space, stuff gets broken, budget <laughs> in some money to replace it. When people share space, uh, you know, schedules are going to conflict, build into <laughs> it, you know, a very concrete plan for, all right, this, who, this is who has priority. This is how, how far ahead you need to do it. And then liturgically, um, and this is more on the clergy end, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to ignore <laughs> your question here at the end. That's fine. I mean, I could imagine some kind of liturgy, and it would take some writing, and it would take some revision, uh, and I'm a rhetoric professor, so I love writing and revision. Yeah, so uh, email NathanGilmore at gmail.com for, uh, <laughs> uh, for these written liturgies. <laughs> yes, yes. But I can imagine some kind of liturgy where we get the people of the community together, and we say prayers and we sing songs to God, commissioning the physical items in that space and say, these are yours, God, and make it so that in front of God and in front of each other, we have all said, this is not our stuff anymore. This is God's stuff. And if some of it gets, you know, magic marker written on it, 
it's okay because it's God's stuff and it's <laughs> not mine. Yeah. And that's something you can even do from home or in your car. If you're in your car, uh, maybe you can't do the liturgy part, but you can stop right now and pray about your church and pray about that space that not only that you are letting go of it to God, but also pray for your ministers that they are able to let go of it and give it to God. And, and, and for the shared. people who have been putting money in the plate for 57 years, because those are the folks yeah. who get bent out of shape <laughs> when things get broken. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and by the way, I'm prayer matters. I, I'm getting closer and closer to being part of that group. So I've got, I've got three fingers pointing back at myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Joe, this is an interesting one to throw your way. Uh, you don't have views. There's not really a laity in the home church. How, how does, how do people of the home church better encourage one another to share communities and share space together? What's this look like? Dinner parties. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. So, so it, it starts with a conversation is, is probably the most simplistic way that I can say it. Um, part, part of being effective in your, in your community is understanding what your community needs. And part of that is that you need to have, sit down and have conversations with churches that you, you don't, they, they might have the muscle and you've got, you've got the brain, but you need to get over the fact that you guys don't see eye to eye on everything. You know what I mean? Or, or, at a very fundamental grassroots, understand the actual, tangible, physical needs of your community. Mm -hmm. There was one, uh, when I, uh, I'll, I'll give an example of something that this gets super practical. Uh, I used <laughs> to live in the Midwest and one of the communities was um, low income and a lot of families that were working but didn't have reliable transportation. And so mm -hmm. somebody with one of those giant buses or, or giant vans um, would would basic, basically like chauffeur people around. You know what I mean? It was like a shuttle service sort of, mm -hmm. sort of thing. And it was just what they did. It wasn't, they didn't charge anybody anything or anything like that. It was just something that they did. Uh, it, it's, that's, that's an example. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be ethereal in nature it can be super tangible and that's okay because we are part our churches aren't in communities they're for communities yeah i think most people would be pretty surprised how easy it is to just call up a pastor that's not that's not even that you don't go to church with and just say hey i want to do this in a community most pastors are a lot easier to talk to than you think yeah yeah it's very simple actually so what would the ramifications be in the church as a whole around the world if we all did all of these things to the best of our ability, Josh? I didn't know I was going to have to answer. Yeah, well, so. <laughs> you were the impartial party. <laughs> oh, well, um, man, I, I think as we encourage one another to let go of the, our spaces and see it as God's, as we call up other ministers, we do these practical things of of really understanding and communicating where do we need the space? Where do we not need the space? Communicating what uh, what is going on? What community services does our community need? What's already being done? Who can we connect with? And uh, you know, when I think when we do these things and you're actually willing to talk to your lady, your pastors or pastors of another church, I think just the simple willingness to try to work together opens a lot of doors and it's hard to honestly. It's hard to say no. Um, I, I, I know it's weird, but when when another church reaches out to you, that's not your church, and says, "Hey, can we do this together? I want to help the community." Well, most pastors aren't going to say no to that. 
Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Reverend Coleman, you had something you wanted to say as oh, far as well, ramifications go? You know, I um, I think one of the ramifications when I think about it is um, being a part of a movement rather than a part of maintenance. Like it's so easy to kind of get into this sense of like I'm maintaining my community. Uh, I've got this burden that uh, you know. I, Ours can't be the generation when this church building falls apart or you know, when our church <laughs> closes down, all this kind of thing. Um, but, you know, if we do everything that we said, I think it, it's you feel inspired that you're part of a movement, uh, something that is part of a greater collective that more uh, properly looks like the body of Christ rather than just maintenance of a part of the body of Christ. You know what that reminded me of for some reason uh thor ragnarok <laughs> near the end of the movie there's this there's this thing and it's a little cheesy of asgard's a people not a place kind of deal whatever if they didn't let go of the place all the people die mm. and i think all across our and i know i'm being one of those super pentecostal guys right now but i think all across the world right now really we're seeing churches that are dying and a lot of the times it's because they don't know when to let go of the place That's yeah awesome. Yeah. I need a tent. So before we get into our outro, we like to do our God moment segment. You've all, I think you've all done the God moment before, but I always like to make Josh go first. Uh, we just take a minute to share what all God's been up to us recently by sharing a blessing, challenge, moment of worship, curse. Could be anything <laughs> that God's doing in your life. Uh, so Joshua, do you have a God moment for us? Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a pretty weird one, naturally. Um, at, at work, we, we played Secret Santa. And they reveal who the Santa is as you get the gift at this in this thing. But you don't know until you've gotten each other the gift. So you're supposed to write down what you wanted. And it's supposed to be like $25 or under. And me being me, because I'm a weirdo, literally just write, I want something that helps me get to know you better. Because whoever it is, I just like getting to know people. And it, I ended up receiving uh, Taylor Swift's Evermore on vinyl. Good album. Yeah, uh, I I haven't got into it as much as I got into folklore. I liked folklore a lot. So I had this whole conversation with this other guy who believes very differently than me. And we're not in the same circles at all about these songs. And, you know, songs are always just a good way to connect with someone. So I just got to see the beauty of a, another person made in the image of God. And it was pretty cool. Yeah. Through Taylor Swift's music. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's the first time for everything, I guess. Yeah. Uh, for me. I'm going to say my God moment is, I don't know, This is, I, I had one earlier and then I forgot it because I was listening to yours. Uh, so I'm going to say that's your fault. <laughs> but I've had a lot of trouble buying Christmas presents this year. Not monetarily, just in what to buy everybody. Had no idea. It's <laughs> remarkably difficult for me to buy a present for a four-year-old boy, apparently. Mm, I get that. But God does provide and uh, I've been blessed with the knowledge and not the time, but I will find the time to finish mm. my Christmas shopping mm. and I'm just blessed to be able to do so. Yeah. My, my second God moment. Okay. Yeah. I was $40 short for a present. I wanted to get somebody who was really sad about it. I was like, man, if only I had $40. And then I was in my office and opened a door with a little note that said, Hey Josh, in case you one day forget to have money, here's $40. So I just left myself money somewhere and I was like, ah, cool. That's exactly how much I needed. Yeah. So, Reverend Coleman, do you have a God moment for us this week? Yeah, I, I do. Um, 
what y'all may not know about me is one of the uh, shows I like to watch is Doctor Who. And there's this whole oh, thing where, uh, you know, the, the doctor changes by regeneration. You know, you look different, different personalities, same uh, yeah. same memory and all that kind of thing. Well, in the Methodist church, when we change pastors, our word for it is itineration. It's basically like Methodist regeneration. And one of my associate pastors is itinerating and um, and (laughs) moving to a a new spot. And, you know, one of the things that um, I've seen here in this season as a God moment is that, you know, sending well is just as important as receiving well. And so the ways that we've been able to um, uh, to bless her, offer her uh, um, just the you know many gifts of our, our community uh, and, um, on the way uh, out, and um, and to create experiences uh, that are just as important as onboarding experiences has been uh, really cool, and uh, I've delighted in seeing uh, God move in the midst of it. Yeah. My third God moment is I met another Doctor Who fan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we can all talk about our favorite doctor next time around. Yeah, that's yeah. the next round table now, actually. Great. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> so, Joe, do you have a God moment for us this week? Uh, I do. So um, I, oh, the last the last couple of months have been interesting. We'll, we'll put it like that. Um, and there's... This is a season where I don't, I don't think a jury in the world would convict about me having a salty disposition towards Christmas this year, this year if I'm being honest. Um, mm. And and it's one of those things, you know, being having having the background that I have, um, I, I can I can appreciate the deeper the, the deeper themes of Christmas, even if, you know, spoilers, that isn't when Jesus was actually born. But but <laughs> understanding the resonant themes of of the holiday, it's just I my God moment for this season is is God. The fact that I can hold on to him for dear life and not mm-hmm. let go. And that when I do that, there is this there is this joy that almost feels cheesy to talk about because it feels like a canned like I'm like I'm speaking Christianese when I talk about it. But it's biblical. Mm-hmm you know what that that there there is no actual external reason for me to feel any joy about that about anything that's going on and and the fact that that that's still like i'm still having held and 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 that that this is still a, an, an active and living relationship that that's my god moment man glad i didn't have to follow that nathan do you have a god moment for <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, and mine's you know a lot more uh, local, uh, but uh, my son is uh, in his senior year of high school, and he's been applying to colleges and applying to different scholarships and things like that. And he's a he's a bright kid. I should preface by saying that. Uh, but he this semester or this week, pardon me, uh, was offered a, a full tuition scholarship to Milligan University, where I attended 172 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm very very pleased with that now. This is where God is going to break my ego because my son is bright enough that he's probably also going to get um, a pretty sizable tuition offer from University of Georgia where his girlfriend attends. Oh, that's and tough. I want him Ooh. to go to Milligan University, but I think he <laughs> en- might end up being a bulldog. And I think that might break my ego. And I think that might be God's plan. So pray for me, friends. Well, I got to say, it's a good time to be a bulldog. Man. <laughs> send, him, send him to North Greenville. 
I'll take care of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he doesn't have a full ride there, man. <laughs> you know, UFC yeah. could have been an option. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. Uh, you can share it with an enemy. Share it with your cousins. Tis the yeah. season. Preferably with your cousins. Yeah. Like you're going to be talking again for like a week, maybe yeah. two. This was like right in the sweet spot between Christmas and New Year's when this comes out. So... You're not doing anything else. Let's be honest. Might as well share a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and while you're not doing anything else, head over to systematicgeekology.org where you can check out our other podcast. Uh, Joe, me, and TJ are all over there. You can hit the host tab. You see all of our names. Any of the episodes that we're a part of over there, we just talk about geek stuff, fandoms, and the intersection of that with faith. Uh, we do talk about Doctor Who on occasion, Reverend Goldman. So, you know. <laughs> I'd be glad consider- to join yeah, be on the show. And consider supporting us on Patreon to hear our whole church news. We just update you guys once a month about what's been going on in the church. And sometimes we miss a month if we're being honest. But yeah, we'll probably miss this month. Yeah. So check out the store or buy a limited time fundraiser T-shirt to help us out with getting our new website and our con coming up next year. It's going to be cool. We want you to be there within reason. Yeah. Not everybody needs to come, but you should all try. <laughs> we'll find a place. Uh, thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Coming up, we will interview uh, Stephen Snook, former career criminal who found Christ. Then we will have Trip Fuller, host of the Homebrewed Christianity Podcast, join us. After that, we will interview Dr. Thomas J. Ord, author of the books Open and Relational Theology and God Can't. Then, finally, at the end of season one, Francis Chan will be joining us. Oh, no way. Does he know? I hope not. Because <laughs> if he knows, we'll that means out. he's not going to do it. Maybe he'll find out next year. Maybe. That's our 2023 New Year's rev- resolution for Francis Chan to, to read his email from me. Yeah. yeah. Read the email and record with <laughs> us on July 6th. Yeah. Season one ends July 6th, hopefully. <laughs> nice. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Next week, we will be taking a week off for New Year's. The following week, we will be joined by Trip Fuller of Homebrewed Christianity. We hope you'll come back then. Remember, you can always sponsor the show at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast.